Well, good evening. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We'll be in verses uh, 22 to 25 tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak through me tonight. I'm incredibly weak and insufficient. I pray that you would use me to pierce hearts and open eyes to the truth of your word. I pray for conviction, for assurance, for your love to reign over top of us and allow it to overflow to those around us. I pray that you would transform lives tonight. I pray that you would use this message for your glory and your name's sake. In your name, amen. All right, so tonight, um, as I said, our verses are 22 to 25. Um, We're going to finish chapter 1 today. So as we've been uh, learning the last couple weeks, Peter has been commanding us to do a couple things since verse 13. Uh, for those who haven't been here, we've been going through verse by verse through First Peter, through the, uh, the first chapter, and from verses 1 all the way to 12, we have got nothing but this is what God has done for the believer. This is what God has done. He has opened their eyes. He has uh, caused them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of his son who he sent on the cross and died for our sins. Uh, We've been raised to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading. Um, We have a joy and a love and a a faith in him that is heaven-like. And all these things are gifts from God. And then in verse 13, he makes a therefore statement, and now it's a call to be holy. And the last couple weeks, we've been talking about this call to be holy. He says, he gives the first command in verse 13, to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then, in verse uh, 15, or 16, he calls us to be holy. Be holy, for God is holy. And then in verse 17, he says, conduct yourselves with fear. So we have hope, uh, be holy, and conduct yourselves with fear. Then last week, we, we heard how um, we've been ransomed from the futile ways, or... Uh, Last week, we talked about how Jesus has been foreknown in the plan of salvation for Jesus to come and die for a people and be raised from the dead. And God gave him glory. And so now, because of all that, our faith and hope are in God. And tonight, our verses, the command in our verses tonight is love. And he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And as Peter does, he often does, and has been the theme throughout all of this letter, is he's giving us things that God has done for us to stir that action and to stir uh, our obedience. So in the past, he said, um, he's, he said, you know, we've been, the whole, all verses 1 through 12 have all been things that God has done for us, and they are the cause for us to be obedient and to be holy at, from 13 and on. And tonight, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. And this is the reason. You've been born again, therefore love one another. So in 2 second, in second Peter chapter 3, verses 1, you don't have to turn there. I will, though, really quick. 
he says, and this, and this is the theme, this is what we've been, we've been trying to do throughout all of 1 Peter. And Peter says in uh, verse 13, in the, his second epistle, he says, this is now the second letter I am writing to you. So this is the second one, and we're going through the first one. He says, in both of them, and this is our goal, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And that's exactly what he's doing in 1 Peter, and that's exactly what we've been trying to do uh, throughout our study, is give you the truths, the basic, simple truths of what God has done and who he is and how he saved us. He's sending his son to die on the cross and giving us joy, love, faith. He's given us all these things as gifts. These are the things that he's done, and Peter is reminding these Christians who are going through who are suffering through trials, just daily Christian apathy. They're struggling with sin. They're struggling with real persecution. They're struggling with all these things. And he is uh, giving us these facts and these basic truths that oftentimes go over top of our heads, or just Christian language. He's giving us these basic truths to stir our minds by way of reminder so that we may have our hope set on eternity when we're, when we're, uh, when we're dealing with all of these sin, this sin and struggle and the suffering of this life. And so, uh, the, so with that, we want these basic truths, and this is if you are here in small groups um, last week, we talked extensively about letting basic truths radically define our lives. It's the basic truths that Christ has died for you. It's the basic truths that we have the word of God. It's the basic truths that... Um, Christ came to die for sinners. God established a plan beforehand to save a people for himself. It's these simple truths that are so massive that we don't understand fully or else we'd be living our lives a totally different way. We'd be living our lives uh, full 100% for the glory of God. But yet in our sinful state, we don't fully understand them. So our goal and Peter's goal is to give you these basic truths and, to, and allow them to, to uh, stir up your mind by way of reminder of what God has done and therefore a call to be holy, which is what we're talking about, uh, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. And tonight, the call and the command is to love one another earnestly. And as we go on, we'll see um, the little nugget of truth that Peter gives us to stir our affection for this. It's everything up to this point, verses 1 through 12, but in this passage, he gives us uh, specific things. So I'm going to go through kind of how I've been doing before. I'm just going to kind of go through chunk by chunk through these uh, verses and at the end, I'm going to end with like three summary slash application points. So, starting in uh, verses 22, I'll read the whole thing. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So starting in verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. And so in my study, when I first, when I first was reading through this, I assume this was post-conversion. This is having purified uh, your souls by your obedience. You, you purify your soul by your obedience to the truth, to God's word, to all those things. But as I read commentaries and different things, 
I learned that that's not the correct interpretation. The correct interpretation of this is having purified your souls. This is, this is a uh, salvation. This is talking about salvation. Having purified your souls is in salvation by your obedience to the truth. Now you should go, okay, that doesn't sound right. Salvation by your obedience to the truth. Okay, where are you going with that? Because we all know that salvation is not by works of the law. And so, what uh, Peter, Peter's language here, and how, what I'm going to argue with a couple different things, is that what Peter is saying here when he says, by, you, you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. He's saying, by your faith to the gospel. The gospel is proclaimed to you, and you hear it, and you do one of two things. You either believe it, or you don't believe it. You either obey, as in you believe it, or you don't obey, as in you don't believe it, because it's still true regardless. And the truth that Peter is referring to is the gospel. So a couple things to establish that that is what, the, uh, the, the, um, what Peter is saying. So first is the context. He says uh, in the verse right before that, who through him are believers in God. He's talking about the, uh, the God's people. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience. So he then he goes right into the next um, verse. So in that immediate context, and also throughout this, these couple of verses, we see when he says truth in verse 22, he's talking about the gospel. When he says the living and abiding word of God, the word of God, he's talking about the gospel. You say, how, do you, how are you getting this? Look at verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever. It's the same concept. And he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. You say, okay, but I'm not really convinced yet. So it, this is the same language that Peter uses in, verse, in uh, chapter 14, verses 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So it's not that we have to work to attain our salvation. Our obedience to the calling of the gospel is a gift of God. Our faith is a gift of God. We're not seeing a works-based salvation, but we are just seeing Peter's language of your obedience to the truth. Your obedience is faith to the truth, to the gospel. And so also, we see this more evidence is he immediately goes into four, so he says in, ver, in, chapter 20, or in um, verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Brotherly love and love in general is a direct result of your salvation. It's not you're saved, okay, now I have to work to love. It's for a sincere brotherly love. This is a direct result. So what I'm going to argue throughout this and in the, in the next couple of verses, he says, love one another earnestly since you have been born of God, or born again. In other words, you could say, love one another earnestly from a pure heart because you have been born again. Born again. So we, we see this language of, this is Peter saying, he's saying, You've been born again, therefore you should love, and you will love if you're a true believer. And, and as we go along um, throughout this, we'll see, we'll pull from 1 John and all the other passages that talk about love. So we move on to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is the direct, again, like as I said, this is the direct result of salvation. And actually, we're going to go to 1 John now. So go to 1 John chapter 4. 
And we see that uh, as Peter is saying, you remember he's giving us this, he's stirring up our affections by way of reminder. He's saying, since you have been born again, this is, this is the result. This is what comes about from being born again. Uh, chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 uh, through 12. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So immediately we see, the only way we can love is from God. And he says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So Peter is saying, since you've been born again, love one another earnestly. So in what John is saying, anyone who does not love God or does not love does not know God. So if you don't love your neighbor, you haven't been born again. It's, the exact, it's, it's a direct result of salvation. You should love. And here's why. Because God is love. And if you know, lo- if you know God, then that means you know love. And that means you've been shown love, and therefore it will pour out of you as love to, loving your brother earnestly. In verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. So this is how we know love. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, we know love because of what God has done. We have the perfect example of love from God. And only believers understand this perfect example. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the exact command that Peter is giving us. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now go to uh, verses 20. Verses 20 and 21. It says it much more simply in 1 John. He says, If anyone says, I love God, and I want you to internally reflect on your own heart as I read this, and and that's what John's goal is. He's saying, If anyone says, I love God, so anyone out, any of you, who say, I love God, I believe in God. If anyone says, I, be- I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And now you might say, well, I don't hate anybody, I, you know, whatever. But if you're not loving them, as in, uh, there's many different ways this plays itself out as far as um, going up to them and graciously uh, bringing up sin in their life, preaching the gospel to people around the street. If you don't, if you're, if you don't share the gospel at all, then are you loving anyone at all? The gospel is, is to correct and reprove us, to convict us. And this is something we should be doing in the, the church body. We should be bringing up sin. We should be encouraging one another. All these things is, is, are ways that you love your brother. And if there's much more than that. But he, So he says, if anyone says, I love God. So if you say you love God and hate your brother, don't do some of those things that we've talked about. You're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see in 1 Peter the direct result of being saved, of being born again, is uh, loving one another earnestly from a pure heart. And this too, obviously, is a gift of God. Your salvation is a gift of God. You've been born again because of God's grace, his great mercy. We saw that in uh, verse 3. 
and also loving one another is obviously a gift from him because you can't do it without, his, uh, without being born again. So we move on. He uses this example. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So he gives us a, um, he kind of gives us two sides of the coin. So we are all born of man. We are born of man's seed. But once you've been born again, you are now born of God. You are born of God's seed. You are now, you were once children of man, uh, prone to be perishable, prone to eternal death. But if you've been born again, you put on the imperishable, which is the seed of God, which is sons of God. Again, this is, these are gifts from God. We've, we've, we've seen a lot about this. Um, Peter has a lot of language about um, imperishable and perishable. He says in verse, in verse 4 of chapter 1, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And this is our, this is our life. And this makes more sense as we move along, like in verse 24 of our text tonight. All flesh is like grass and its glory and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Those who are born of the word of the Lord remain forever. And we have been born by man up under the curse of Adam, and we are perishable, and we are uh, withering away unless born again by the gospel. So then he moves on. This is how you're born again. This is how you become a, part of, uh, a child of God, imperishable from the imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God and I have a lot to say about this I'll uh it's more so in my summary points but the living and abiding word of God is the only thing and as and I'm just going to read this whole thing I'm going to read from from uh here on down through 25 because it all says a similar point it all has a similar theme it says you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For, and he quotes Isaiah 40, we'll go there in a second, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So again, we see that this is the living and abiding word of God, and in verse uh, 25a, it says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It never perishes. The word, of the, the word of God and the word of the Lord is something that never perishes. Everything around you is perishing. You are perishing. And the only thing that Peter is saying, the only thing that does not perish is the word of God. Let's go to Isaiah 40, where he quotes this from. This is Isaiah speaking to the uh, Israelites. They are um, in exile, like our theme for this year, Holy Exiles. They are in exile under slavery of the Babylonians under, because of judgment, because they were rebellious, as we are, as exiles. And he says, uh, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? This is Isaiah. What shall I cry? And the voice says, all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of, a, of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, uh, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Again, this word 
of our God is the gospel. This is what lasts. This is what has value. This is what has real weight. The things we mess around with on this earth have no weight. They have no eternal significance. People all around us are perishing. and They're withering away. They have nothing but wrath and judgment uh, in store for them. And yet we, as Christians, if you say you love God, we have the word of, our, uh, of God, the gospel, the good news. And we see that people are perishing. He even says in, uh, in the quote, he says, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. He even gives, in, in our verse it says, glory. Uh, he even, we see that even man has, like whatever man has that's, that's, that's glorious or that's um, beautiful, like real smart intellect and really nice things, really nice house, really nice whatever, whatever the glory and the beauty, it's perishing. And the only thing that lasts is the word of God, and that will stand forever. And then he goes on in Isaiah in chapter 9, he says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Preach to perishing people that there's hope, there's the gospel, there's good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, says, uh, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And this would be our anthem. This should be our motivation. We should see perishing world around us. We should know that we have the word of God that lasts forever and that stands forever. And we should say, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and, he, uh, and, rec- and his recompense before him. Listen to this. This is the great good news. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So we see the, the great good news, but as in our text back in 1 Peter and in Isaiah, the word of the Lord remains forever. This has, there's two sides to this coin as well. It is good news and it is being offered to all. To, to all. The gospel is, is offered to all. And yet, at the same time, and that, and that remains forever. So therefore, if you're saved, then the gospel that you've been saved by remains forever. And it'll keep you forever. You will be eternally, you will live eternally with, with God uh, uh, and enjoying him forever. But the word, the word of the Lord also remains. The gospel doesn't just bring good news. It brings condemnation and judgment for those who disobey, as Peter would say, the gospel or the truth. So that, that truth and that word, the, 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 the offer of grace is available and that remains forever for those who will choose it and those who will be saved. But also, what remains forever is the judgment to the perishing people. And this should stir our affections to evangelize. And it should further our joy in the gospel, in the living word. It should move us to loving one another earnestly with the gospel. And loving and, and Christians, obviously, we know this, need the gospel as well. We need it every day. You wake up every morning and fight apathy. You need the gospel. And so he goes on and he says, uh, And this is the good news that was preached to you. This is good news if you, if you uh, believe, if you receive the offer that was preached to you. This is important. It's got to be preached. The gospel proclamation has to be spoken. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God, Romans 10 says. 
We must be evangelists. We must be using our voice to proclaim the truth, to, to proclaim the living and abiding word of God to perishing sinners. It must be preached. I have a quote here by... Um, by by, by uh, John Calvin. He says, Your voice in itself is mortal, but is made an instrument to communicate eternal life. So think about that. I'm going to read it again. Your voice, the Christian's voice, in itself is mortal, but is made an instrument to communicate eternal life. Think about that. Your voice can communicate eternal life to perishing Sinners. This should radically transform us to love uh, one another earnestly with pure heart. So now I want to kind of move to my uh, application and my summary points. Number one is obvious. Love one another, for you have been shown great love. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, uh, I'm actually going to go there really quick. Again, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to go there. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. You have no need for anyone to tell you how it's done. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You've been taught by God's love for you how to love one another. Sacrificially. Working hard that others may receive the reward and the benefit. Laboring with people to come enjoy the, uh, the, the free gift of salvation. How else do you love one another? Meditate on the glories of what God has done for you. Again, this is what Peter's talking about. He wants to stir up your mind by way of reminder. Here's what God has done for you in Christ. Therefore, love one another. See his example. See Christ's humility. See his coming to the earth and for the joy that was set before him endure the cross. Let that be the power and fuel for your love for others. Second summary point. Cherish the word of God. We see in our text the value, the significant value of the living and abiding word of God. I'm going, to say, I'm going to say something, and I want, I want you to hear it. And I want you to think about what I'm going to say. It's going to be bold, but I need, you to, I need you to hear it. If the Bible, I'm talking to Christians. If the Bible does not govern your life, you are not a Christian. If the Bible does not govern your life, you are not a Christian. If you say, I believe God, I love God, and yet this is the only thing that's living, this is the living and abiding word of God, and you don't open it, but I'm a Christian. It doesn't govern my life. God, the only, what God has given us, his instruction, it doesn't govern my life. Then you're not a Christian. How can you be a Christian if you don't know what God says? If you don't know who God is? 
This book is God's word. Let that sink in. It's almighty God's word and instruction for us. But you can believe in God and not read it? Now, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. I'm not saying faith and read your Bible. I'm preaching faith. You receive the gift of God by faith. And that faith comes with, I want to know God. I want to read his word. This book is how you purify your soul. The Christian hears this and goes, I want my soul purified. I want to honor God. I want to delight in God more. I want to read God's word. I want to know who God is. This book is imperishable. It never passes away. It's the only thing that is not fleeting. It's the word of God captured for us. This book is living and active. Hebrews says it pierces the division of body and soul. It convicts, it reproves, it's all we need for life and godliness. And you're a Christian and you don't read it. You're not a Christian. This book is love. If you don't know this book, you don't know love. If you don't know God, you don't know love. This book lasts forever. Again, it's living and abiding. It remains forever. This book is good news to perishing sinners. That works in your soul and in others. You say you're a Christian. Well, you need this book. You need this book to live the Christian life. You need this book to be holy. You need this book to honor God and delight in God more. But you don't read it? This book is how you communicate eternal life to those around you who are perishing. You say you're a Christian and you don't care about those perishing around you? This book is life. If it does not govern your life, you are not a Christian. And you're pretending. The Christian hears this message, this warning... And he gladly hears it. The Christian reads warnings in scripture and warnings that I've just spoken. That if you don't cherish the word of God, you're not a Christian. If you don't read the word of God, you're not a Christian. The Christian hears that and says, yes, 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 I want the word of God. I want the word of God. I need it. I need it for life. I need it for godliness. I need it to honor God. I need it to enjoy God. I need it to glorify God. I need it to know who God is. I want to know more about him. The Christian gladly hears this warning. But those who are not Christians will hear this and make excuses. They will say, I'm a Christian. I don't need to read the, faith alone. I don't need to read the word. It doesn't matter how I live my life. I said a prayer. My parents were saved, so I'm saved. I've been going to church since I was young. That's not what the word of God says. The Christian gladly receives this warning, gladly opens the word, gladly is willing to be convicted and reproved and corrected for his misbehavior, for his disobedience to God's commands. He wants to honor and delight in God. He wants to be holy like Peter is talking about. And you can't do that without the word of God. I'm going to quote from Spurgeon because he talks about this. This is weighty, but it's so good. You've got to listen to it. 
He says, he's got a sermon about the Bible. But let me say one thing before I pass on to the second point. And I need everybody to listen. Everyone's got to listen to this. Because there may be people in here that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, yeah, I'm a Christian. And their life says something else. Their works are dead. James says faith without works is dead. That faith is dead. That faith cannot save you. Your works are a result of your faith. They produce, it's the fruit of your Christian life. Here's the quote. And it's long, but it's gold. But let me say one thing before I pass on to the second point. If this be the word of God, what will become of some of you who have not read it for the last month? Month, sir? I have not read it for this year. Ah, there are some of you who have not read it at all. Most people treat the Bible very politely. They have a small pocket volume, neatly bound. They put a white pocket handkerchief around it and carry it to their places of worship. When they get home, they lay it on their drawer. They lay it up in the drawer until next Sunday morning. Then it comes out again for a little bit of a treat and goes to chapel. That is all the poor Bible gets in the way of an airing. Listen up. That is your style of entertaining this heavenly messenger. There is dust enough on your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. There are some of you who have not turned over your Bibles for a long, long, long while. And what think you? I tell you blunt words, but true words. What will God say at last when you shall come before him? He shall say, did you read my Bible? No. I wrote you a letter of mercy. Did you read it? No. Rebel, I sent thee a letter inviting thee to me. Didst thou read it? Lord, I never broke the seal. I kept it shut. Wretch, says God, then thou deservest hell. If I sent thee a loving epistle, and thou wouldst not even break the seal, what shall I do unto thee? And I say with, and I say with Spurgeon, oh, let it not be so with you. I'm talking to you, unbeliever. I'm talking to you, Christian. Those who profess Christ in here. Oh, let it not be so with you. Be Bible readers. Be Bible searchers. How can you call yourself a Christian if you don't know God's word? If you don't care to spend any time in God's word? It's the good news. It's salvation. There are many people today who profess to believe in Christ and have no idea who Christ is. They could not even articulate the gospel. The word of God gives life. It is the only thing that lasts forever. Everything else that you spend your time on is perishing. And people around you are perishing. You yourself is perishing without the gospel. And your only hope is the word of God. And now this leads me to my last point. Preach the gospel. The gospel is only received by proclamation. How are you going to proclaim the truths of God if you're not spending time in God's word? 
How are you going to save perishing sinners without God's word? I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. It's John Calvin. Your voice in itself is mortal, but is made an instrument to communicate eternal life. Think about that for a second. People all around you perishing, storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment, and you have the voice to communicate eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And would you sit in your house and read your word by yourself and not proclaim it? It's one thing to read it, and I'm getting you. I want you to get it, to read it. But you're not done there. You, want, you have to proclaim it for the glory of God. Only by preaching the gospel is the good news received. Be a herald of the good news that has given you a hope. The good news that's given you life forever. Proclaim the gospel to perishing people. Bring a message of hope. The offer is on the table for life. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and died for the sins of his people. Because one day the offer will be removed. And his word remains forever. Bring a message of life and love to those around you. Christians need this every day. Christians need the gospel every day. I'm not just talking about preaching the gospel to unbelievers. Christians need it. They need encouragement. They wake up every morning struggling with worldly things. Not bad things. Losing a loved one. Not being able to have a child. They they suffer with these things. They need the gospel. Struggles of this world, work, life, single motherhood, all of these things. Christians need the gospel. Preach the gospel to those who do not know it, and to those who do. Love one another earnestly with the gospel. It's the only thing that remains forever. Let's pray. Lord, your word is truth. It's the truth. It's the only thing that remains. It's the thing we all need. Without it, there's no hope. Without the precious blood of Christ, there's no hope. But the beauty of the gospel is that there is hope. Christ did come. Christ did die on the cross for the sins of his people. And the offer of salvation is made available for those who will come by faith and receive it. I pray, Lord, that you'd press this message upon the hearts of these people. Help them to not walk out of these doors the same. Help them to be Bible people. Be Bible searchers. How can we profess to know Christ? How can we profess to be a Christian and not care about your word? 
It cannot be. So I pray you give us a heart for your word. Only you can do it. And I pray that we would cry out to you as a people, begging you for a heart change, begging you to enjoy reading your word, begging you to give us a delight for you, to know you, to obey you, to delight in you, to enjoy you. Their greatest joy is at stake. And I pray you'd press it upon their hearts, pierce their soul with your living and abiding word of God. Thank you for your word of God. Oh, thank you for your word of God and your instruction. Help us, Lord, as we go. Help us to seek your face. I love you, I thank you, in your name, amen.